Father, we've just read an amazing scripture. Your promises is that you will give us anything we ask if we abide in you, if we remain in you. But you know the challenge is for us to see life from your perspective. And we pray that you will just open your word now that maybe we'll see a little bit more clearly the things that are on your heart for us. Help us to be open and adventurous, hungry for more. So will your Holy Spirit please speak into our lives and hearts in the way that only you can. Take something this morning and will it uh, be embedded deep within us and grow to bear fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we've been spending the last, I don't know how long, a hundred years talking about uh, this world in which we live being um, like a prison camp. And what I mean by that, and I just want to update those of you who haven't been around, the prison camp being uh, what happened to the world after Eden uh, was broken open by sin, rebellion. And we've been thinking about how the world in which we live resembles a prison camp and the importance of that analogy or metaphor is to understand that when Jesus came into the world, he came to show people who had never been free in their lives what freedom looked like. And we've talked a bit about how uh, the metaphor that we we come come across in in the first part of the Bible where the people of uh, the Hebrews were captured in Egypt and they were set free to go into the promised land and the promised land didn't look anything like they expected it to and so they ended up wandering around in the desert for 40 years because it wasn't caviar and milk and honey served every morning at your bedside. It was go in and possess it piece by piece, step by step. And so they were disillusioned. And we also talked about how actually the promised land is overlapped over Egypt and actually God came to say there is freedom within the context of the prison camp. As long as we live in this world, we are actually in a prison camp. There is no heaven on earth other than in Jesus. And the only place where God rules is where the kingdom of God is present. And the kingdom of God is only present where Jesus is acknowledged as Lord. And so what Jesus was doing in his life his death, his resurrection was saying how this is how God intended us to live and this is how God is calling us to live in the face of hostility and the rebellious um, pirate, kidnapper whose name is Satan. In the Western world we, we, we tend to use movies and cartoons to caricature Satan and think he doesn't really exist. On the other hand, in the Western world, there's so much spiritual activity going on apart from Jesus, from psychics to everything else, that he's very active. And as one prophetic person said, the strongest spirit in the spirit world in the world is the religious spirit over North America. It's actually just oppressing and breaking down. It's why North America is the largest English-speaking evangelistic uh, field in the world. So it has the name and the sort of vague echo of God, but it actually doesn't know God very much. And so what we're thinking about this morning and what we're talking about is, well, what does this kingdom of God look like? Because if we're probably all honest and agree with one another, church, as most of us have grown up with, is boring. It's incredibly boring. I mean, if we can do anything else, we'll do it. 
by and large. And the reason for that is because we've tended to take everything and dumb it down to such a putrid level that it's not even exciting to those who go. But we're not going to be depressing because otherwise Dave will tell me I'm too negative and I've got to get positive. So we're going to turn that round and say, you have to diagnose an issue before you can find a solution. What does it mean to follow Jesus in a fallen world and to live as citizens of the kingdom of God? The default position of living in the prison is that I am God and we survive. And we fill our lives with the meaning of gaining good jobs and good incomes and going on great holidays. That's in our culture. For much of the world, that's not their experience. But the issue ultimately is who is God? Who's in charge? And in the human spirit, there's a cry that says, there must be more. I don't know how many here are adopted, um, but I know that having spoken to people who are adopted, the cry within their spirit at some time in their lives is, who are my parents? Because it's a very core cry of the human heart. And the same is true with God, that God has placed within us a very deep cry and yearning that sometimes we don't even know what it looks like. And when we first meet God in Jesus, it's awkward at times because we're not used to unconditional love. We're not used to mercy and grace. We're not used to the prodigal son experience of a father putting a cloak on us, rings on our fingers and saying, welcome home my dearly beloved son or daughter. And you can put down your notes about all the things you've screwed up on. I'm not interested. I'm much more thrilled that you've come home. Now that message is what Jesus came to share. And that's why everyone who met Jesus were touched not by his words nearly as much as by his countenance. Because when he looked into people's eyes, when he looked into them, they saw and they felt and they experienced a life and a love they'd never experienced before. And the kingdom of God touched them. We are trying to get away from being locked into our minds and our little intellects. Last, year, last week I showed you some slides of space and nanotechnology and the vastness of space on the one hand and the minuteness of worlds within worlds on the other. And when you start considering that vastness there is no way one understands or even can comprehend the complexity. And it's quite cute sometimes. We turn around and say, well, I don't believe that. God couldn't possibly do that. And you go, you don't believe? On what grounds? I don't understand? Much of what we do is because we, we don't understand. The kingdom of God, as revealed in Jesus and revealed in the New Testament, the norm of that kingdom is power. A power that interacts against the works in this world as we know them intuitively and naturally. 
the power that actually heals, the power that transforms lives, the power that comes against what the prison camp does quite naturally and which we come to understand as normal. I'm sure Micah is going to come and share with us something of the power of God in Africa. Because we in the West are struggling to get that idea or that reality back again. And it's not a condemnation, it's just an exciting challenge actually. But the kingdom of God that Jesus came to introduce is one where captives are set free from abuse, from depression, from brokenness. It is one where sin is convicting. It does matter what we do and how we behave. It's a place where brokenness of all kinds begins to find healing. It's a place where we don't just politically correctly absorb and embrace everything and yet on the other hand we politically incorrectly embrace everyone. It is a place of extraordinary compassion and grace and unconditional love that says there's hope for every single person no matter where they've been or what they've done ever in their lives. It's a place of insane random acts of kindness where the payback is irrelevant. It's a place where Jesus is unashamedly Lord, unashamedly friend, unashamedly the only one who can change my life. And if this is true, then God's kingdom is a kingdom of power. You and I probably have been brought up much more reading about Jesus, reading about God, reading about the stories, reading about healings, reading about everything, and experiencing very little. So why don't we see more power demonstrated? Do you think? Some of it is because of unbelief. We just don't believe it's possible. That's why we're having these discussions and that's why we're exploring this. Some of it's because of fear. I'm scared of being out of my depth, out of control, which is what Peter felt like when he was walking on water. And I guess all the disciples felt like most of the time when they were with Jesus. It's about doubt. It's about religious forms that are more safe. In the New Testament we call it the Pharisees. Concerned about doing things right, but very safe and predictable. It's about being passive spectators. We come, we listen, we go. It's about rationalizing. It's about not taking risks. It's about finding our security in the prison camp rather than in Jesus. How do we change? Because this is not a condemning... uh, We are who we are. 
And Jesus came to call us out of who we are into what he sees us able to become. And it's a lot better. But we can't become something if we have no hope. We can't become something if we can't see anything different. And that's why Jesus is so revolutionary. Because if we could come to a knowledge of God through our intellects, we wouldn't need Jesus. And what God did when he broke into human history through Jesus was to provide a revelation of life as he created it to be. And a revelation by definition is you can't deduce it logically from the human mind because the human mind is too small. Which is very humiliating to some of us, but even the smartest of us know very little. And what is the beginning of wisdom? Knowing that I know very little. So how do we grow in this life that is the kingdom of God? I don't know if this thing's going to work. Do you think it's going to work? The only problem is it's too small, but I didn't have time to change it. So, uh, Okay, just tolerate it. A few things that I'm going to put up there. Can any of you read that? Oh, you can. Good. All right. Well done. Growing in, I want to just give some sort of uh, pointers to growing uh, and ministering in power because the reality is if I just stand here and say, you know, um, the West is screwed up and we're not doing anything, it's pretty depressing, isn't it? I mean, it's, what do we do? But what, I, what I'm wanting to do is paint a picture of, of uh, how by definition we are and we reflect uh, the prison camp in which we live. But Jesus' good news was that he came to say there is one greater than, than the prison guards, which is uh, Satan and the human systems, and that is uh, God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And if you live under that identity, which is as a child of God, you, you become... Uh, what I'm doing now is I'm str- struggling because I'm trying to sum up the last three or four weeks um, because I want to make sense of this. And the core of the kingdom of God on earth is an identity issue. So I will recap just that point, which is when I live in the prison, which is this world, as a, as a child of God, it is, a, it is as if I live in our human society as Superman. I have an authority and I have an identity and I have a power that is not my own, that is given to me by Jesus. And when I am confident of that. God can work through me in a power that is extraordinary. I'll leave it there. So how do we do that? We start by renewing our minds and theology regarding God, His will and His purpose and His equipping of us. And what that just means is, and what all this means is, we have two choices when it comes to God. We bring all that we find about God to us and we submit God to our intellect and God becomes really, really small. Or, I understand that I am part of God's creation and I am the one who is really small and I am the one who doesn't understand much and I am the one who needs to be taught. And so renewing our minds is about saying, Lord, will you teach me what I don't naturally see? Will you teach me about what doesn't make sense to me? So it's coming uh, with an attitude of humility. 
That's the first, first uh, step. The second step is renewing our minds about how God regards us. I was speaking to somebody this week who thought that all that God was about was condemning them. And, and the vast majority of people see God. I often love to ask the question, tell me about the God you don't believe in. Now I wouldn't either, is usually my response. It's usually a miserable person who is full of legal, legalism and do's and don'ts. Well, the God revealed in Jesus loves us, loves you, more than you love your children. Delights in you, likes you. Every person whom Jesus met felt that, experienced that. In the prison camp in which we live, and I'm speaking from years of experience, you can get so distorted and beaten up that you forget that. And you start blaming God for everything. And God is to break through again and say, that is not me. That is the prison camp. I adore you, is his word in Jesus. We sang that song about, in your presence I am undone. It's true. When we are in the presence of the living God, before his cross and before his resurrection, we will be undone. Because there is no condemnation in him for you. There is nothing but love and acceptance and come to me. We need to renew our minds about how God regards us. We need to renew our minds about the ministry of Jesus. Jesus was true God and true man. He was a model of what human beings can do empowered by the Spirit. That's a whole discourse on its own. But all Jesus really said was, anything I do, anything that's written down in the New Testament, uh, you will be able to do because the Holy Spirit will work in you. The Kingdom of God alive among you. We need to rush through these. We need to appropriate the truths about how abiding in Christ releases God's power in our lives. How staying close to Jesus is what will release the power of God. And I'm not talking about reading it three times and now I understand it. I'm talking about digesting it. Just as a baby goes through the gestation period, it's nine months before it's born, some of these truths of God need to gestate within us until they become real and true. It's not McDonald's. And God is much more interested in the process of building our characters than getting us to some particular goal that we fantasize about, then I'll be. Fill in the blank. We've got to step out and take risks. There is an element of risk in this. The kingdom of God is something that is only discovered through faith. In other words, none of us will ever experience God healing through us unless we come to a place where we actually lay hands on somebody and pray for them to be healed. And when you lay hands on somebody to pray for them to be healed, you have to deal with the fear of what happens if nothing happens. That's the fun part. 
So if we want to see God working, we have to be willing to take risks and learn together. Uh, let's see what happens now. Oh, this has uh, gone all over the place. We need to build a faith culture that fosters expectancy and a safe place to learn together. In other words, we need to talk up the kingdom of God. Build expectancy that God has things for us. Not things for us to indulge us in, but things for us to both heal us personally and also enable us to go out into the world and be more effective. We need prayer and we need the prayer of impartation to empower one another to do what God has for us. So one thing I want to emphasize and we want to just focus on this morning is learning how to think differently and to how to stay in God's spirit. How do we recognize the heart and voice of Jesus? Because we're exposed to lots of distorted images, aren't we? I mean, we can all spend quite a lot of time um, looking at TV and saying, well, that's not it. How do you think we know what the voice of Jesus sounds like or looks like? I think it's, it's expressed in Philippians. It's where servanthood and humility is present, where lifestyle is sacrificial and love is sacrificial. I don't think most of us and our friends are interested in our words anymore. I think they will be interested in unexpected gestures that express the love of Jesus in surprising ways. I think they will be interested when they see us making sacrifices for them. And when asked why, we just say, well, God loves you, and so do I, and you matter. So this is no big deal. Do you know what he's given me? I'm just passing on a little bit. Pay it forward. Whatever we agree with in our minds is what will be unleashed in our lives. How we think is how we do. And that's why it's so important to feed our minds and have our minds renewed. The only thing that is absolutely certain is that when we and God come together, our mind is the one that's going to be changed, not his. And Paul spoke in Ephesians and said, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. See, that's the knowing that we're talking about. The knowing of the kingdom is about our hearts vibrating with the love of God much more than our minds. So this kingdom, one of the reasons we're going to pray and fast is to ask God to enlighten our hearts, to break through in us in a way we can't do ourselves, to take us into a place uh, that is not intuitively obvious for us, so that we know 
But we don't know really how we know, we just know. Because God's Spirit is working. How are the eyes of our hearts enlightened? Quickly, accept the present experience that we have of God is incomplete and there's more. Very simple. Ask God to show you more of himself. Adopt an attitude of openness and humility. Relinquish the need for an agenda. Lord, here I am. What do you want to do in me? We're going to have during the prayer and fasting time a few times in what is called soaking prayer. And soaking prayer is rarely an opportunity to come before God, lie on the floor and just say, here I am. And it's really counterintuitive to those of us who want a notebook and all that stuff. But it's really quite simple. All you think about is going to the operating theatre and the anaesthetist, someone like John Jameson, stands by and talks to you and then you're out. And then they do all kinds of stuff to you and you don't even know what's going on. Well, God's kind of saying, listen, be still. Be still, lie down, shut up and let me work. And don't be afraid. And so soaking prayer is just an opportunity for us who are so busy and so into control to just say, Lord, here I am. Will you minister by your spirit? How the eyes of our heart enlightened by our attitude, by our acceptance of a limited experience, and there's always more. The eyes of our heart are always enlightened by knowing the scriptures. We have to read the scriptures. You need to read the scriptures every day. So that you understand, we learn how God is. How God sees us. And we need to renew our minds within the context of a community. Jesus said, abide in me and stay on the vine. What's the wonderful thing about vines? Have you ever seen a grape growing on its own? Grapes grow in bunches. Christians grow in bunches. A grape on its own is one that's going to die because it's not going to be connected. And one of our great curses in the West right now is individualism, is independence, is I'll do it my way. We might do it our way, but it won't be Jesus that comes out. It'll be something less than that. Usually when I'm doing it my way, it's because I'm protecting myself. It's more a reflection of me and my heart than it is about theology and God. I could write a book about this. I've got uh, degrees in attitude. <laughs> and I learned to my cost over a long time that God just sits there and watches. So, well, are you finished yet? <laughs> no. Okay. And it doesn't seem to matter because he seems to have all the time in the world. Another thing about grapes and then we're going to be finished. Have you ever watched grapes grow? If you have, you need some help. I mean, that's pretty sad. 
can't get television and watch the grapes grow. What's the point? Abiding in Jesus doesn't look that exciting. Growing in Jesus doesn't always look exciting. It's a bit like hanging on a vine. It doesn't feel divine. How do you like that? You get that one? And I say that because, you know, we're always wanting experiences and I want, to, I want excitement. And some of us don't want any of excitement. But a large part of what Jesus will do with us is just living in the normal mundane life. And that's why we need to feed on the scriptures, we need to worship, we need to meet together in in the everydayness of life. And in that, his spirit will begin to work extraordinarily. And in the midst of that, supernatural fruit will begin to be born as we invest in supernatural nourishment. The reason we don't know the power of the kingdom is because we don't spend time in the supernatural side of the kingdom, which is Jesus. And that is why, my brothers and sisters, we're also going to spend some time in prayer and fasting, which I'm just going to describe in two minutes as we close, because you're going to be so excited about this. I mean, I hate the thought, quite honestly. I mean, having to do without food and having to sort of discipline myself is not number one on my agenda. But I can't get away from reading Acts and finding out that when God was at work, prayer and fasting seemed to go with it. So, prayer and fasting is about saying, Lord, here I am, please teach me, speak to me, draw me closer to yourself. And we need to have a breakthrough so that we can be more who you want us to be in this place at this time. And Lord, all I can bring you is me. But it's a lot more fun and misery if you're together with other people. And all that uh, fasting starts to do is show you just how incredibly controlled we are by our guts and by food and by habits that are just embarrassing to admit. So that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing to, be, to realize just how dependent I am on all these comforts. But I do want to say that we can make it fun. And what we're going to do in a week is going to have different things on at different times. We will learn through DVDs, we'll learn through prayer, we'll learn through Bible study, we'll learn through worship, we'll learn through silence, we'll learn through soaking prayer, we will learn through whatever. And we're not going to have police around. I mean, you can eat the whole week if you want. God will kill you, but I, I don't care. <laughs> you know, it really depends. Some people have diet issues so that you might only be able to fast one, one meal a day. Some people, you know, you have to work. So most people won't be able to go on water for seven days. They'll collapse. So you have to do whatever seems appropriate for you. And I, I would encourage you to take whatever seems appropriate for you and then go a little bit further. Because appropriate for you probably is pretty comfortable. <laughs> so push yourself a bit. But what I'm really saying is that there's fasting from TV, there's fasting from beer, there's fasting from wine, there's fasting from uh, all kinds of stuff. Tea? And tea, yes. Coffee. That would be a big one. So if you're going to fast from coffee, which you should, you should start this week. And what is the purpose of it? The purpose is to say, Lord, let your kingdom be, uh, be, be stronger among us. Lead me into a new place with you that I've never been before. 
so that I can, instead of feeling bored with my Christian life, actually be excited by it. So we'll have some more information next week. But the bottom line is very simple. Lord, bring your kingdom among us so that we can make an impact in the world in which we live. Let Jesus be seen among us. Not through the head, but through the heart and through the power of God. We want testimonies here every week of people who have been healed. Not because we're looking for some great glorious healing ministry, but because it seems to me God has a lot of healing He wants to do amongst His children. So Father, we bless you for your word. We bless you that you are a God who's got so much more in store than we can ask or imagine. And we pray that we would have the courage and the uh, hunger to want more than we have now. Thank you that this is not about being condemned. This is not about feeling guilty. This is about being released into the more that you have. We reflect on those disciples when they were first called from Galilee. They had no idea what they were heading into. And Lord, what you showed them was much, much more than they had ever expected. And they went through times where they were disillusioned, they wanted to give up. They went through times where they just didn't understand what you were doing and argued with you. But you loved them through all of that. They went through times where they were so embarrassed by you and frightened by you that they ran away. And you came back and you drew them again to yourself. So Lord, we thank you that you understand us. We thank you that you understand that some of us are not even sure we want to follow you. We're not even sure we want to get excited because we don't really know what that means. And you love us right there as well. So wherever we are with you this morning, we just pray that you will draw us into a new place in these next weeks. We ask your Holy Spirit to do in us what we cannot do. And if we can do nothing else this morning, we pray for the the courage to take a risk with you and say, Lord God, here I am. Lead me in whatever way to a new place. And because God knows us intimately, he will respond to that in so many creative ways. But his heart is that you would know his love and I will know his love. At a deeper level, we will know his equipping power in a greater level as well. And we pray, Father, that you will just make these words true in our lives and in our midst, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just be still for a minute.